0: We continue on with our study, uh, Pictures of the Church, for lack of a better title, uh, as we continue then to look in Scripture at some of the metaphors used to describe the church in its being and in its operation. Today we're going to consider what Scripture teaches about the church as the temple of God. And I'm going to to read from Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 19 through 22. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. How many of you have taught your kids that? Okay, quite a few. If you haven't and you didn't know it this morning, see me after church and I can give you a lesson. What do you think of when you think of the church as the temple of God? What comes to your mind first of all? When I think of the temple, I think of Old Testament And I think of the several temples that were built in Jerusalem as places of worship for the nation of Israel. And when I think of the temple, I think about it as being the dwelling place of God. Most of you the same, maybe? The dwelling place of God. And you know, in the Old Testament, that concept of temple as being the dwelling place of God certainly... Was, was the case. But isn't it interesting that before the temple, Israel had a worship place known as the tabernacle. Israel used that tabernacle for most of its 40-year sojourn from Egypt and in the wilderness as they were constrained to, to be because of their unbelief and not allowed to enter into the promised land. It was God himself who suggested and designed the temple or the tabernacle. And it was a place where he promised the people that he would dwell among them. A place where his glory would be seen. And by, we, by the glory of God, we're speaking of the shining forth, if you will, of all of the attributes of God. The glory of God is all that he is. Put on display for us, and He was willing to display Himself in that remarkable way, as the Old Testament people of God moved toward the Promised Land. It was a travel temple. It was portable, and I use that word. Yeah. If you if you've read about the tabernacle, believe me, it it didn't emphasize portability. When I was younger and going up to the boundary waters, I had a Eureka Timberline tent. It would sleep four adults. It weighed eight pounds. Yeah. I never got tired portaging that from one lake to the next. Putting it up was a breeze. Taking it down, matter of seconds. Stuffing it into the bag, that might have been a little bit more. But, it was a truly portable item if you go back into the old testament and I, and I would ask you to do that and you read the description of the temple or of the tabernacle uh, portability isn't going to strike you as one of the one of the big features that's for sure now when we think of the temple we know that this was was something that david really longed for, as they settled into Israel, the promised land, as they were there and and no longer traveling, David had had a heart that God would have a temple built in his honor, a place where he could dwell, a place of permanence as opposed to the portability of, of the tabernacle. In fact, this is what he spoke to Nathan the prophet. He said, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And yet, because the Lord said he was a man of war, that he had shed blood, he said, you'll not build the temple. I I really appreciate his attitude. If you look at what he gave, it was a colossal gift. I mean, it was really remarkable. It outdid my $100 gift by, well, a couple million. <laughs> it, it was a huge gift. And, and and the thing I'm impressed with is his good attitude in spite of the fact that he wouldn't be the one to build it. That took place under Solomon. And the account of, of the construction, the finish, and the dedication we can find in Second Chronicles 3-5. through Now it was during the time of Nehemiah as Israel was enabled to come out of the what we call Babylonian captivity that the second temple was built there was a a transitional concept here from one temple to the next to the next by the time of Jesus the third temple was being constructed on the same site in Jerusalem construction began in 19 BC It wasn't completed until 64 A.D. They had six years of a completed building until the Romans came and laid it to waste. (laughs) If my math is correct, it took 83 years to build that temple. Now, Jesus had great respect for this temple, and yet ultimately he assigned very little importance to it. In fact, Remember his claim, and he's claiming that his body was really the ultimate temple. And when he said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days, he wasn't talking about the temple that would take 83 years to get done. He was speaking of himself. And true to his word, crucified on a Friday, on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He triumphed over sin, death, and Satan himself. He was the victor. And he was true to his word. Stephen, as he spoke to the Sanhedrin before they stoned him, and it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 7, he argued that Israel had gotten off track, and he's being consistent with Jesus in that. They began to place the the emphasis spiritually on, on a building and on a locality and they lost uh, emphasis excuse me on, on the relationship that was meant to exist between God and man. They didn't understand that God wanted to live in human hearts. So they put down roots, if you will, in the temple. And they were going to protect it with all that they had. But the thing is, as things developed and really degenerated in Israel's history, all they had, all they had was a religion. No relationship with God. How sad, how tragic that is. When we think of the the New Testament concept of the temple, it's much different It is the church, and I'm speaking of the church universal, the church with a capital C, those who are truly believers in Christ. It is these believers who are the temple of God. If you're a believer today, God by His Spirit dwells in your heart. Dwells within you. The living God, the God of all glory, takes up residence within you. theologically the word i think of is wow <laughs> in 1 corinthians 3:16 and 17 we read don't you know that you yourselves are god's temple and that god's spirit lives within you he goes on and he says, if, God's, or if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred. And you, you are that temple. What a promise of protection. What security is ours. And even if we're destroyed physically, we're not destroyed, are we? Because we gain heaven. We gain eternal life in the presence of God. And to be reminded again that we, you and I, are that temple, that dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Think of, think of what that says of our justification. That God so justifies us because of the righteous work of Jesus. He, he can forgive us our sins and He can declare us righteous. so that He can put His Holy Spirit within us. Again, the only theological word I can think of is wow. What an amazing thing. What a remarkable thing. Now, I I don't know a lot, but I know enough about myself to know that I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace, not because I've deserved anything. And yet God, when he justifies me, so forgives and so covers me with the righteousness of Christ that he can look on me as though I've never, ever sinned. And I'm acceptable in his sight. Isn't that something? And it's true for each and every believer. And we then, as we consider the New Testament concept of the temple, We are that temple. He would dwell within us. Again, such is our justification that he not only can forgive us, but put his Holy Spirit within us. This church then is sacred, it says. This is a church which is holy unto God. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Ephesians 2.21. And in 2 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 16 through chapter 7, verse 1, we read, What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, come out from them. And be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Do you see yourself as holy today? If holiness means perfection, nope, I'm not holy. But if holy means, as Scripture teaches, that I've been separated from the world, that I've been called out to belong to God and God alone. belong to Him for His exclusive use. I don't belong to the world. I belong to the Lord. I'm His. And that's true for each and every believer. Separated to belong to Him. Separated to live for Him and to serve Him. Separated to be separate from the world around us. Be set apart. Every Christian, every Christian, not most, but every Christian is holy unto God. Every Christian, he has separated. He has drawn to himself. He has declared them his. He's declared you, believer, as his. You belong to him. The ground on which you stand, spiritually speaking, has been bought and paid for by the shed blood of his Son. And here's the thing. If you're holy, and if you're standing on ground that is solidly God's to give to you, then you don't have the right to give it up. You realize that? We belong to him to be his. And to serve Him and to do so exclusively. We don't do it perfectly. But when we make a mistake, when we have a bad attitude, we confess it to Him, right? And He forgives. And He's faithful and just or righteous in doing so, again, because Jesus is our righteousness. And we become then a spiritual being. Paul says in Ephesians 2 verses 20 through 22 that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, built on the word of God. Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too Are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's the foundation and He is the cornerstone. That was the most important stone in the building. It had to be perfectly square because from it, going in both directions, it would keep the building within the bounds. It would keep it square. It would keep it level so that when the building went up, it was a building that had integrity. It was a building that would last. Jesus is the cornerstone building us. And do you notice here, he says that this whole building is being joined. It's in the present tense. We are, if you will, a temple under construction. God is continuing to do this work through word and sacrament of drawing himself to us. Of building our lives that we might reflect his presence to those around us. We're being built together, he says, to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit, Jesus, as I said, is the Cornerstone. In First Peter two, four, and five, we read: As you come to Him, the Living Stone, rejected by men but chosen uh, by God and precious to Him, then you also, like living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. After he justifies, he also begins the work then of sanctification, of of renewing the image of Christ in our lives. And we, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, become God's handiwork, his workmanship. And we're created in him to do good works. Do you realize then that as this temple is being built, we're on display to the world? How do we do as individuals? How do we do as a congregation of displaying the handiwork of God? Or do we display a mess? That's a legitimate question. And it's something that we need to answer individually and as a congregation because we are God's handiwork. We are His workmanship on display before the world. We're a travel temple, if you will. More like the tabernacle. But He is building us. And He is leading us to participate in what we can call the final or the ultimate temple. In Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, we read, And God himself will be with them and be their God. What a picture. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And later on in that same 21st chapter, the Apostle John writes in this vision that he had from the Lord, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And he will become the dwelling place in which we will live, not for time, but for all eternity. I think of the Old Testament saints. We talked a little bit about this on, on Thursday at our at our men's breakfast. Um, Abraham. He was promised a land. How much land did he earn or own? <laughs> he bought a burial plot. The rest of it he lived in as a sojourner, as a as an alien. And yet the writer of Hebrews tells us that people people like Abraham were not disappointed. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because they were looking for a city, for a dwelling, not built with human hands, not just for time, but a place for all eternity where they could dwell. And their faith was rewarded and they were... We're a joyous people. Now, we live on this side of the cross. We look back at the finished work of Jesus. And we can say, if he did that, if he could accomplish that, then what he will accomplish will be easy by comparison. But it'll be a place where we'll live for eternity. And guess what? We'll be perfected so that we can fully enjoy it, fully participate in it, and be a joy to God. Come quickly, Lord. Amen. Father, we continue to pray as we prayed each week in this series. Your will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else.